This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The pandemic has taken an emotional and social toll on America's children. Since returning to in-person schooling, educators say behavior in the classroom has gotten worse. That's according to a survey from education research firm EAB. And you're noticing it too. Here's a message from Samantha. There are several disruptive students inside of my classroom. Sometimes students are throwing things. Sometimes they're playing games on their computer. Sometimes they're hitting other students. And whenever I try to deal with this misbehavior, it takes five, ten minutes. And then if it becomes so disruptive, I try to have another staff member intervene. They might pull this student only for maybe ten minutes, return the student without helping them transition back into the classroom, and then the cycle just repeats. Lawmakers in several states say they've heard the concerns of teachers and enough is enough. Kentucky passed a law last month to make it easier for teachers and administrators to move students out of the classroom. That could be through suspension or online learning. West Virginia adopted its own discipline law this year, and Nevada is considering legislation now. This show is part of 1A's Remaking America project, looking at how our government is and is not working for everyone. It's a partnership with six public radio stations, including Louisville Public Media in Louisville, Kentucky. After the break, we take a closer look at the law in Kentucky. We also discuss what research says about punitive versus restorative practices in schools. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more after this quick break. This message comes from NPR sponsor ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people across your business, providing intelligent tools to help remove frustration and supercharge productivity. And all of that is built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Learn more at servicenow.com AI for people. This message comes from NPR sponsor Train. Leading your organization to higher profits and performance requires a strong foundation. In the face of industry changes, emissions requirements, and new legislation, it takes a high-performing building. Train creates turnkey energy strategies for businesses to lower their carbon footprints, prepare for a sustainable future, and meet the needs of occupants and business commitments alike. Open the door to better opportunities at train.com slash energy services. Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I I just started doing research, uh, but the truth is, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. 
Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get into the discussion. Joining us from Louisville Public Media is Jess Clark. She's the station's education reporter. Jess, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Kumar Rashad. He teaches math and black history at Breckenridge Metropolitan High School. That's an alternative school in Louisville. He also serves on Louisville's Metro Council. Welcome to the program. Thank you. So, Jess, Kentucky's Democratic Governor Andy Bashir signed House Bill 538 into law last month. Uh, so in the end, I think it's one uh, bill that, that really comes down to school safety at a time when we've seen some, some really scary incidents uh, across the country. Now, this is one that I believe, if carried out appropriately, um, can hopefully intervene before some of those things happen. Jess, how will this law change how Kentucky schools discipline students? So this measure does a number of things, and it mostly deals with expulsion and other ways, new ways to remove students from the classroom. So first off, this bill expands the criteria for required expulsions. Um, So under state law, schools can expel students for certain infractions, whether they're violent or whether, um, you know, drug use, et cetera. This expands uh, the required expulsions to include not just Uh, use of weapons or bringing weapons to school, but also if the student is determined by the board, you know, quote, through clear and convincing evidence to have made threats that pose a danger to the well-being of the students or the school community. Um, And so that really, you know, could result in more students being expelled. Um, It also allows, this is really interesting, it allows students to be suspended or expelled for assaults that happen off campus. So that's very new. Um, And then probably most significantly, it creates these new consequences for so-called chronically disruptive students. So if a student is removed from a specific class three times in within 30 days, they're labeled chronically disruptive and can be suspended with, you know, no other, um, you know, cause. Um, And then it also allows the principal to remove a student from a class if they believe that student is substantially disrupting the educational process. And it allows them to permanently remove them from that class for the rest of the year um, and put them on virtual instruction or another alternative setting. So on the whole, it, it just makes it much easier for administrators to remove students from the school settings for disciplinary issues, either through expulsion or an alternative setting. And, and just a point of clarification around uh, the, the part of the bill that makes it possible for administrators to remove students for assaults that happen outside of the school or, or off campus. Are those assaults specifically involving another student or could it be an assault involving anyone? It's a pretty broad definition. So it, it just says any kind of assault or violence that could substantially disrupt the educational process. So it does not specify. Kumar, you testified against this bill during the state's legislative session. Why are you against it? Yeah, I'm against the bill because it, it gives uh, administrators way too much latitude when it comes and discretion when it comes to removing students without any real clear definitions of what really constitutes a threat or what really, uh, you know, or, or what is perceived to be violent by one group may not be perceived to be violent by another group. So I just think this will place a a lot of uh, undue uh, 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 pressure and a lot of undue uh, uh, consequences and penalties 
on, I think, uh, definitely on people of color or, or people with disabilities or people who are, 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 are you know, uh, economically disadvantaged. Now, Jess, opponents of this law, like Kumar, say it will disproportionately impact students of color. How have Kentucky schools historically disciplined students of color differently than white students? So historically, and this is on the trend with what we see nationally, certain groups are much more likely to face disciplinary actions than others. Um, In Kentucky and and nationally, that's especially true for black students. In Kentucky, black students make up 10 percent of the student population in our public schools, but they make up 25 percent of discipline resolutions that resulted in them being removed from the classroom. That's also true for low-income students. They make up about 60 percent of Kentucky students, but 80 percent of those facing discipline issues. And then finally, of students with disabilities, um, they make up a very small proportion of our student population, but they make up 23 percent of students removed from the classroom through disciplinary action. And so, you know, as lawmakers were talking about these new measures, uh, some teachers like Kumar were pointing to those those very well-known statistics with concern that this new law could exacerbate that all that iniquity that we already have. So what was behind the push for this bill, Jess? How, how did it make it all the way to the governor's desk? So this really came out of discussions about the teacher shortage. There was a lot of discussion at the beginning of the session back in January about the teacher shortage and about student discipline issues being a contributing factor to that. We heard that from teachers who testified. Um, other issues they noted were also pay, uh, low pay, and then also just uh, respect and kind of the rhetoric that is around the public education sphere right now. Um, so you know, there were a couple um, kind of prongs that lawmakers thought they, they might be able to address. One is pay, one is, uh, and then one is respect, and then one is student discipline. Um, pay right out of the gate was kind of a non-starter for Republicans uh, who wanted to focus on more low-cost solutions. And so this discipline this discipline issue was kind of low-hanging fruit where you could really uh, pass a law that would, you know, uh, address this issue um, without costing a lot of money, like, say, a a pay raise. Mm. Um, So it's really, it's it's one question that opponents had about this issue is that, or about this measure is that if we're going to pass this law and we're going to remove kids from classrooms, are we also going to spend the money to hire more therapists or counselors or mental health practitioners who can be there to receive those students and address some of the root causes of those problematic behaviors. Um, we did not see action on, on that particular aspect this, section, this session, um, but it was a non-budget year, so that, that could come later. Kumar, you work at an alternative school. What kinds of students do you serve there? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I do serve an alternative school. And just uh, just, uh, just to be clear that uh, alternative schools, we're all different. Some people just think alternative school means the same. There's some uh, alternative schools that are there for mental health or for uh, disabilities. But our, our alternative school is for students who've been accosted or affected by the criminal justice system. So uh, whether that be on school property or off school property. Let's go to our voicemail box. We got this message from Carrie, who's a music and dance teacher. And I have noticed that students are uh, quite uh, disruptive in the classroom, uh, unfocused, hyperactive, but I'm trying to give them more space, not necessarily uh, progress them as a lesson plan would uh, have us uh, in terms of what they are learning, 
but I'm trying to just sit with the students a little more and let them be who they are and just have um, give them perhaps a little guidance um, and and let them let them know that it's okay to be them. And Jennifer emailed, as a retired teacher, I am very concerned about the increased crackdown on student behavior. A better way to deal with these issues is to hire and retain better trained teachers, especially those with trauma training, to deal with the underlying issues causing the behavior. More than a third of teens have reported having poor mental health during the pandemic. That's according to a 2021 survey from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Kumar, how have your students been emotionally coping since returning to in-person learning? You know, uh, it's it's a real big uh, um, learning gap. Uh, you know, coming back into a situation of learning is is it's been a lot different for me. Honestly, I, I feel that. Uh, most of my students seem to be more respectful of the time that we have together mm-hmm. than um, there was before. So I have a different effect than I hear from some of my colleagues. Uh, but there have been uh, some some students who haven't been able to deal with uh, with it very well either. But I, I guess that goes to all parts of society, really. And what kinds of resources mm-hmm. do you provide at your school mm-hmm. in addition to just instruction? Well, we got a couple of things. You know, we we have a uh, we well, first of all we have two mental health practitioners at our school, um, and it really makes a difference that these mental health practitioners look like the students who they represent. So we have one black female and one black male. Um, that, that's you know that's that's very important to uh, you know establishing trust with students. Um, also, we have uh, we have different programs. We call it one's called a big picture, in which we take uh, high school concepts and we uh, we 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 base we base the curriculum off of the students' interests. So, if they have an interest in going to uh, engineering, then we really just kind of base their class, uh, take the class focus, take them to some out of course things, uh, you know, off campus sites where they can learn a little bit more. And also, uh, we also have uh, some mentoring groups. I mentor a group called Men of Quality, uh, in which is really just for at-risk young men of color and uh, really just teach them uh, characteristics that they need to be successful um, out in the real world. Uh, basic things from tying your tie to shaking your hand and making eye contact. Uh, you know, just, just, just a lot of those basic things that they may have missed or don't have anyone to guide them to teach them those uh, those things. So uh, a lot of supports we have to put in place. Jess, when you were talking about how this, this bill came to be, you, you mentioned three different areas of concern for educators. There was pay, respect, and then discipline. And discipline was the easiest thing for uh, the Kentucky General Assembly to move on. But how have teachers in their union responded to this new student behavior law? Yeah, um, I would say that teachers are pretty split on this bill. Um, you, I mean, I've talked to a lot of teachers who have recently left the profession, and student discipline is one of the driving factors. Um, you know, a lot of teachers are just feel like they're at the ends of their ropes with, with student behavior, um, and they just do not have the support and resources to manage certain students who are acting on in class, and that is very stressful. Um, and I think some of those teachers may support, um, and this is what I'm hearing from the union, some of those teachers will support measures that make it easier to remove those disruptive students from the classroom so that they can focus on, uh, on you know, continuing instruction. 
Um, then you have other teachers like Kumar who are very concerned that this measure will result in more black students and students with disabilities and low-income students being disproportionately removed from the classroom. So, I, you know, the union hasn't really, um, at least the teachers union here hasn't uh, come out in favor or against it because their membership is so split. Now, earlier this year, Governor Bashir said Kentucky is short 11,000 teachers. Has the General Assembly talked about any measures to address that? So, uh, quick fact check. <laughs> um, the 11,000 figure is, um, it's, it's, it comes, it's not really a, a great figure because it comes from this very specific database that's not super up to date. So the actual figure is more like 1,500 vacancies. So that's a quite a big difference. It's still though, you know, no matter who you talk to, those vacancies are still a problem. I mean, you have students that go entire semesters without a math teacher um, and just get a string of subs. Um, You don't have enough substitutes. And so then you have teachers who are are covering classes for other teachers when they're out sick. And then then that then fuels the teacher shortage because teachers are so stressed because they don't have their planning periods. You know, they may not get to take their whole lunch. Um, and, and so that is driving the teacher, the teacher shortage um, in part. And then on top of that, you have the behavior issues. And so that's, that's really not good for, for anyone. Um, so lawmakers, you know, when it comes to addressing uh, the teacher shortage, they were, yeah, they were focused on those, those disciplinary issues. Um, Governor Andy Bashir, who's a Democrat, floated a 5% pay increase across the board for school employees. But Republicans really seemed unwilling to move forward on that. Um, their uh, talking point was that this is a non-budget year, and maybe we'll look at it next year. But the the ways that they responded to the teacher shortage was the disciplinary issue. They also entered Kentucky into this multi-state uh, licensure agreement. So if you're a teacher in, say, Ohio, and you want to come teach in Kentucky, it's a lot easier now um, in the pact for you to get licensed quickly. That, though, is a double-edged sword because it also means that if you're a teacher in Kentucky and you want to go teach in Ohio, it's easier for you to go to Ohio. So um, it, the jury's really out on on how effective that will be. Well, well, Jess, I'm curious what discussions were had about what happens to students who are removed from the classroom. Does Kentucky have enough infrastructure in place to support those kids if they're learning at home? I mean, that's a good question. And that was a concern that was raised by, um, you know, people on the fence about this measure and opponents. Um, You know, I think, you know, one thing that advocates of the bill were very excited about was the opportunity to move those students to virtual instruction. Um, Opponents of the measure and people who had kind of questions about it it pointed to the fact that virtual instruction was not very effective during the pandemic, especially for students who are high needs. And so, you know, students who are um, removed from the classroom tend to be more high need students. So then, you know, what are what's the, how effective will it be to put them on remote instruction? Um, are we going to lose those students? Is that going to increase the gaps that we're seeing? Um, so, you know, it's, it's not really clear. Um, and some people did have questions about, you know, if we're going to if we're going to remove students from the classroom are we going to hire more mental health practitioners to address root causes and ultimately Jess how are lawmakers measuring whether this bill is successful 
Well, that's that's a good question. Um, I don't really see any metrics in the bill to measure that. I think uh, it will be interesting to see, you know, what kind of data comes out of it down the line. There's not really a way to measure. I mean, you know, this is a new, a new um, you know, kind of a, a, a new type of discipline. And so there there aren't really the reporting processes in place to say, okay, how many students were removed from the classroom and put on virtual instruction in lieu of expulsion? Um, so, you know, I, I don't see anything in the bill that is specifically designed to measure that. Um, in some ways, I think this bill, you know, was signaling to teachers that, hey, we hear you, we want to do something, we know that you're frustrated. Um, but I don't really see a whole lot of, you know, concrete ways to measure the impact. That's Jess Clark. She's the education reporter for Louisville Public Media. LPM is part of our Remaking America collaboration. Also with us was Kumar Rashad. He teaches math and black history at Breckenridge Metropolitan High School. That's an alternative school in Louisville. He also serves on Louisville's Metro Council. Jess, Kumar, thank you for speaking with us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Appreciate you. We'll talk more about the state of student behavior and discipline in just a moment. Taylor Swift has dropped a new album. She is the biggest pop star in the world, and everything she does makes news. I gasped. I was like, oh my God, I've been there, and you can identify with it. For a breakdown of Taylor Swift and her new album, The Tortured Poets Department, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. From your car radio to your smart speaker, NPR meets you where you are in a lot of different ways. Now we're in your pocket. Download the NPR app today. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR. Let's get back to the conversation by adding another voice. Kentucky State Representative Beverly Chester Burton is a Democrat who co-sponsored the student discipline bill. She recently retired from teaching at Jefferson County Public Schools in Louisville. Representative Chester Burton, welcome to 1A. Thank you for having me. And joining us from Washington, D.C. is Dan Lawson. He's director of the Center for Civil Rights Remedies at UCLA and senior director of education at the National Center for Youth Law. He also taught in public schools for 10 years. Dan, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. Representative Chester Burton, what behavioral issues have you experienced as a teacher in Louisville? Well, in my tenure at the Jefferson County Public School uh, District, um, I, over that time period that I was there, uh, my last four years were the hardest, um, being assaulted three times, um, at, um, one at a, a school that was primarily a, a girl's school. And then the last two was at a, um, another school, um, which was, um, a middle school, middle house. How do you think this new law will affect students? From my standpoint, it would allow those students that really want to learn an opportunity to do that by having those students that have chronicle issues with discipline 
you know, being removed from the classroom so that other students can learn. Dan, we spoke about some of the racial disparities when it comes to discipline in schools in Kentucky. That goes along with this text message we received. My nephew decided to do homeschooling because the school was ineffective at preventing racial bullying and he didn't want to deal with it. When he ignored the bullying, he was depressed. But if he defended himself, he was the one who got in trouble. Those were his only two options because the staff wouldn't intervene unless it became physical. Dan, give us a clearer picture uh, around what those racial disparities in discipline look like nationwide? Nationwide, we're seeing, and we have been seeing for many years, that black students especially are much more likely to be suspended at rates that are two, three, and at the district level, oftentimes even higher rates um, compared to their white peers. But we're also seeing in our research um, that suspensions are most common for kids who have disabilities, for kids who are in the foster youth or foster care programs, and also for homeless students. They are among, those three groups are among the most frequently suspended. So we're really talking about denying certain groups of students an opportunity to learn. And most of the kinds of reasons that students are kicked out of school for are for minor offenses. It starts with maybe getting removed from a classroom for being disruptive, and then they can be suspended for disruption or sometimes things like dress code violations or for being tardy three times or for truancy. There's no deterrent when you suspend truant children, but that is often one of the leading causes. And when, what are we saying when we suspend a homeless child for disruption or tardiness or dress code violation. What we're really talking about is denying the opportunity to learn, and that has a huge problem for those groups, but also as across different racial groups. Uh, in Kentucky, they had the fifth highest rate for black students with disabilities in terms of their risk for being suspended, whereby one-third, 33%, that literally means one out of every three black students with disabilities was suspended out of school at least once in 2017-18. Representative Chester Burton, how are you ensuring that this legislation won't widen Kentucky's racial discipline gap? I cannot assure that that will not happen, but what I do know is that the educators were asking for some type of relief so that they do not have to continue to have those type of disruptions in the classroom. They were, I mean, they've been asking for something for years. I mean, when I tell you the number of teachers that I've spoken to regarding leaving the profession because they simply cannot teach because of the disruptions that are occurring in their classroom. You talked about this legislation working to better support teachers and try to address some of their concerns about student behavior. But what about the students who are on the receiving end of this bill? If they get put out of class, what are the alternatives for them to ensure they still get an education? I believe that there are other alternatives for those that will be removed from the classroom, such as setting up an environment where they will have more um, independent or more one-on-one instruction elsewhere. But oftentimes, I heard someone mention about building relationships. I realize that it's extremely important. I just want 
students to understand that there are peers of theirs that are seeking to want to learn, and they may not know what type of issues the student is going through, whether it's home or elsewhere, peer pressure. But the bottom line is all students deserve an opportunity to learn without being disruptive uh, behaviors in the classroom. You, you that said, is just you said you you think every student, if they are disruptive, they need an environment where they can perhaps do more one-on-one learning, learn independently. But does that environment exist now? Has the General Assembly done anything to ensure every student has access to that type of learning if that's what they need? No, I wouldn't know. From my understanding from this bill is that what the bill is going to do is allow Board of Education to put in place some type of policy, adopt a policy, requiring actions for students that may be for the students that have to be removed from the classroom so that everybody benefits. So as a former educator, I know you know every every day, every hour of instruction is is important for students. So if that piece doesn't exist yet, that that space where these kids still have an opportunity to learn, why why doesn't that exist? It, it seems as if one part of the problem has been addressed, the part around classroom management and, and getting disruptive kids out of the classroom, but the net that catches those kids, it hasn't been created. And this will allow them to create such a setting for those students that will be in that, in that predicament. So is there funding in this bill to create that setting for kids? There was not any funding place, you know, or designated for, for this particular bill. However, that does not mean that a school board cannot uh, come to some type of um, policy that will allow them to um, implement those type of measures. But representative, again, as an educator, you know that policy without funding, that doesn't go very far in an educational setting. So is the General Assembly going to move to create funding for these school districts so that they can provide these spaces for kids if they are kicked out of school because of this new bill? Well, now that the session is over, I, that was not put in place. But I tell you that if that were the case, I would sep- I would definitely support that. Uh, Dan, I, I want to zoom out for a moment. How has national discipline policy evolved over the past few decades? It has increasingly uh, became become harsher and harsher, um, and especially. Well, beginning in the 60s with resistance to desegregation efforts, especially for black students. Um, And then in response to school shootings, sometimes we see sort of a knee-jerk response that we have to, quote, kick out these bad kids. But in fact, um, what we're doing is adding to the risk that students will become delinquent and involved in the juvenile justice system. And I would point out that in Kentucky, what they're pursuing is arguably penny-wise, but it's pound-foolish because there are huge costs involved in the juvenile justice system where it costs, for example, seventy to $100,000 a year 
uh, to house students, yet we're dramatically increasing the risk of juvenile justice involvement and also societal costs. And we've actually studied this with some of the leading economists in the country that suspensions, in fact, do predict higher rates of dropping out of school, and there are huge economic costs to the tune of billions of dollars a year nationally and in the states that we've studied, uh, many billions of dollars. So this will cost society a great deal of money. It's economically insane. Representative Chester Burton, when you hear that analysis, that in the short term this may address an immediate discipline issue, but longer term, it could very well cost Kentucky more money, and you have students who will be uneducated, who will not be able to participate in society fully, that there is no safety net for them right now if they're put out of class. I mean, how does that make you reflect on this legislation that you passed? Well, I believe that all the stakeholders must take a look at this bill. I mean, from parental involvement, from educators, from legislatures, we've got to work together in order to make sure that the students that and that the students have what they need and i recognize the fact that juvenile justice is very very um a big issue throughout not just kentucky but overall and i understand that we want to make sure that we are making the best decisions that's going to allow students to reach their full potential but when we talk about the kids who are typically impacted by this type of discipline, discipline policy, black students, other students of color, students with disabilities, and there is not at this moment a clear safety net for those kids if they are affected by this bill, you said you would support legislation if it if it came before you to create that safety net. But is anyone in the General Assembly talking about that right now? Are they creating it? Are they planning to put that forward in the next session? To my knowledge, I have not heard that. So where does that leave the students who are affected? Well, you're looking at it, I, I see it two ways. We have those that, yes, it is affecting and those that are going to benefit from that. And it's sad to say that there, these type of measures must be put in place so that the educators can have that flexibility so that they can move the kids forward that are trying to learn. I am very saddened that we have to come to something this harsh so that those students that have been disruptive will have to take another step in a different direction so that they can also have an opportunity to get the best education they're able to receive. Representative, I I just want to understand what success looks like for this bill. Are there any metrics in place to measure whether this is having a positive effect on student outcomes or teacher retention? Well, I think we will be able to measure this. This being the first time this bill has been passed, we do not have any data to to share at this time. But moving forward, now that the bill will be in place, I know and I believe that 
the local board of education that will adopt the policy, that they will make sure that they are, com- you know, able to provide data coming forward. So, but there's nothing written into the bill, no benchmarks or anything in the bill to say we need to measure this. There's no requirement for school districts to actually collect and measure this data. No, not, no. Dan, I want to briefly touch on an alternative to exclusionary discipline like detentions or suspensions, and and that's restorative practices. What does that look like? Restorative practices uh, involve both training of teachers and oftentimes having additional personnel like restorative justice coaches on hand to help address misconduct. But it's, it's, you know, it starts in the classroom with all sorts of uh, responses to misconduct that are really about problem solving rather than thinking you'll just kick kids out and that'll solve the problem because it never does. These students do return and they also are in our communities and we want kids, we all benefit when all kids have the opportunity to learn and can stay in school. Um, You know, if you're concerned about safety, kicking kids to the curb, putting them out on the streets is no solution to any safety concerns. But also students have to be safe from discrimination and bigotry. And what we're seeing in these racial disparities is that when we start to have these very vague subjective offenses and kids are being kicked out right and left, we're seeing huge racial disparities. And we're talking about civil rights violations We're talking about denying the rights of students with disabilities, the right to be taught and to learn, and instead uh, coming up with substandard alternatives. And again, we all lose when we deny children the opportunity to learn and violate their rights to be educated. We spoke to Dawn Echeverry. She's the president of Nevada's Teachers Union, which supports a bill that would revise Nevada's current restorative practices. Our term is restore at the door. The administrator is going to come to the classroom, they take the student in the hallway, they have a conversation with the student, and the student is immediately put back into the classroom. So the frustration is that the kids around that disruptive student now see that nothing happens. The teacher feels like they had no backup or support, and they believe probably the administrator feels like they had no way to move forward with the discipline either. We heard from Louisville teacher Kumar Rashad earlier in the hour, and he said a lot of people don't really understand what restorative practices are or or how to put them in place in a way that's actually effective. Dan, what do schools have to do to meaningfully implement restorative justice practices? They really have to support both teachers and students and have the support personnel there. But it's not just about bringing in someone or sending a kid out to meet with someone else. The training of teachers is vitally important. And I am one that, I was a teacher that was kicking kids out of my classroom right and left my first year of teaching. And fortunately, I was in a school system and had a principal that wasn't suspending them, but instead reflecting on my need for improving my classroom management and getting some support, which I got. And um, by my you know, later years of teaching, I never even thought about sending kids out of the classroom to the principal's office. And so the the interventions, the supports for teachers and the training for teachers really works very effectively. And I, I'm, you know, example number one, but we have research from across the country where we know 
what can be done to really support teachers so that they don't have to rely on outsiders. Many kinds of conflicts and misconduct can be addressed inside the classroom when teachers are well-trained in classroom management. So, Dan, what would you encourage Kentucky lawmakers to watch and measure as this bill goes into effect? Well, they've added this off-the-books kinds of suspension, so I noticed they're not even collecting the data on the teacher removals. They should really closely monitor their data, but I think we already know what's going to happen. We're going to see widening racial disparities in both uh, discipline but also in achievement and graduation rates the gaps are going to get larger and the costs much higher. So they should start looking at those costs in terms of the juvenile justice systems as well as long-term costs. And they need to just invest in supporting teachers and learners. That's Dan Lawson. He's the director of the Center for Civil Rights Remedies at UCLA and senior director of education at the National Center for Youth Law. He also taught in public schools for 10 years. Also with us, Representative Beverly Chester Burton. She's a Democratic Kentucky state representative, and she recently retired from teaching at Jefferson County Public Schools in Louisville. Thanks to you both. This show was part of 1A's Remaking America collaboration with six partner stations around the country, including Louisville Public Media. Remaking America is funded in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Today's producer was June Leffler. Amanda Williams leads our Remaking America collaboration. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. On this week's Wild Card, we talk with Issa Rae about those moments where our lives could have gone another direction. Definitely wasn't supposed to be with that guy at all. At all. But I still think about it. I'm Rachel Martin. Issa Rae tells us how to make peace with the path not taken. That's on the Wild Card podcast from NPR, the game where cards control the conversation.